Our message today is from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. Father, as we come, we open Your Word. We ask You to open our hearts. Through Your Holy Spirit, open our minds as, uh, to receive from You this morning. And we confidently come to You knowing that You have given us Your God-breathed Word that we might know You better. So we pray that You will instruct us in such a way as to cause us to take another step forward in our walk with You. In Jesus' name. This, the whole chapter of John chapter 4 is concerned about worldliness creeping into a believer's life. And uh, I, uh, I look at that and, and, and I think in terms of, of how easy that is for any of us to, to have happen to us. In fact, it's hard to get the worldliness out of our life that's already there when the Lord comes into us. And I don't know about you, but my brain is more than capable of bypassing things that I know are right and thinking on things or doing things that are wrong. And, I, and, and doing it without thinking, almost out of habit. I have some habits, obviously, and maybe you do too, uh, that are not necessarily things that glorify the Lord. And so, this picture of, of coming to the Lord, James is wanting, wanting us to take a warning against worldliness in our lives. In, in verses 4-6, through six, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And at verse 5, Or do you suppose it is no, to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealousy, jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. And by the way, I just stopped there for a moment. He yearns jealously. The idea of God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share us with the world. He doesn't want to share us with things that are not of Him. He wants us to come and enjoy Him completely, to rest in Him completely, to be blessed by Him. And so, he says it yearns jealously over our spirit that's in us, that dwells in us. But He gives more grace, therefore it's it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verses 7-10, through 10, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And I read through that and, and I look at that and I think, those are harsh words. 
Think about what he's saying here. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yes, I'm all for that. But then he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want that. Cleanse your hands. And then he, he tells us, you sinners. We need to do that before we approach the throne of God. And then he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. And I'm thinking, be wretched? I, I don't think in terms like that. I don't, I don't think in terms of being wretched. Let me, I'll explain what he's going for here in a minute. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning or sadness or, or grief, actually. And your joy to gloom. And I think, you know, how sad the, a life that would be to be thinking, you know, my joy is gloom and all of these types of things. But what he's trying to get at here is the things that we rest in, that we find our greatest joy in on a day-to-day basis, frequently is not the things of the Lord. And that's what James is getting at. He says, we enjoy the things of the world. Therefore, you need to have a sense of mourning over that. A sense of, of, of gloom over taking joy in yourself uh, ability to take care of yourself, your, your, your desire to be the captain of your ship, uh, which is all things that we want to do. We want to be in control. We think, uh, as, as we look at another scripture here, well, I'm going to go here or I'm going to go there and I'm going to make a, 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 a living doing this or doing that. And I'm going to make a great profit and all these types of things. And, and, and he's saying here, uh, you know, who are you to... Decide how all of that's going to come together. Things will get in your way. What are you going to do then when, when something gets in the way of your personal plan? Has you, have you ever had an interruption in what you thought was the way you were going? Have you ever had something that comes into your life that redirects your path in a different way? And that's what we're getting at. We don't have control over this. We live in a fallen world. It's full of sin, and, and things are going to have got a direction that they're going, and, and we need to first rest in God. And, and, well, let me get into that more completely in just a minute. He talks about uh, that we're not to speak evil about each other, we're not to slander each other. We've gone through all of these verses already in the last few weeks. But then we get to verse 17. And, and I want to go, drop to the bottom, which is typical of me. Start at the bottom and work my way out. Um, and, and it says the, the, in the, uh, the, the Scripture here, it says, So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The word so is actually the word therefore. And I want to be uh, cautious that, you know, the, the, the two words might be interchangeable in the way you think, but... I have to stick with the therefore simply because of my Old Testament and New Testament teachers of, of, of Bible college. They said, what's the therefore, therefore? In other words, you're supposed to be drawing a conclusion here. That's what he wants. He wants us to be drawing. Therefore, here's how you are to act. Know, if you know what the right thing to do and fail to do it, for him it is sin. What is the right thing to do is the question we should come for. So, therefore, what's the right thing to do? What are we supposed to be doing? And I think that's the question I want to look at today. 
Verse 15 says uh, that uh, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this and we will do that. What is the Lord's will? You find yourself asking that question? I have people always asking and, 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 and making the comment, what is the will for my life? You know, do, do I make this decision? How do I make this decision? Help me with this decision, Pastor. Uh, these different, different, you know, over here, over here. And all I can start with is where their walk is in the Lord. I don't know the will that God has for you. That's something you're supposed to be seeking out for yourself. And, and I'm not supposed to take direction over that. What I'm supposed to do is to give you the tools to work with to come to a conclusion about that for yourself. That's what the elders, why, why it says that the elders are to be men who teach the Word of God. We're to help you, instruct you, and give you tools to work with. What is the right thing to do about this and about that? Certain things I can do very clearly. I can go to the Word and say, ah, don't covet. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. I can, there's certain things I can do and I can go directly to. And if those are things that are going on in your life and as we discuss and get to it, I can say we need to move away from these things. We need to, to repent and ask God to give you a new heart. In this particular passage, I look at it and say, you know, what is, you know, uh, what does uh, the... the the passage say in reference to his will. And so I want to go back to keeping the context of the, the whole thing. I'm going to have to go outside of the scriptures I have for today, which is 13 through 17. Go back to verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The will to, to understand God's will is to begin there. There is only one God. Period. He is the one who has the authority over all things. As we put all of Scripture together, we realize that God is, is, is revealed to us, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And as we understand all that happens with that, and, and, and I won't get into all the details of, 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 of that this morning, but the idea of of that, that God has worked in such a way to bring salvation to us. He has worked in such a way before the foundation of the world to put together a plan. I look at it as he, he wrote a symphony. And we are playing it out at this point and, and seeking to do His will in it. There is one sovereign God. And again, it gives it very clear, clearly. He, he is the only one who has the authority uh, uh, to save or to destroy. We don't have the right to judge other people in reference to that. That's God's job. We can turn around and look at somebody and say, it doesn't look like they know this thing about the, the, uh, God. We can look at and share. And the fact that somebody did that with me, he didn't come and condemn me and say, by the way, you're going to hell unless you listen to me. He sat there, found out where I was and what was going on in my life, and he shared his testimony with me. He didn't ask for an immediate result and say, okay, you need to get on your knees right here in the restaurant and, and accept the Lord. He didn't hit me over the head with the Word of God. He just shared his life in Christ from himself and what he had learned 
about what Christ had done in him. And he even was sharing about what Christ had done in his family. As a result, I said, that reminds me of, and I thought of people in my family. And for the first time, I desired to read the Word of God with a different set of eyes. Maybe these guys weren't trying to pull a fast one. Maybe they really believed what they were writing. And God opened my eyes. It took a year and a half for them to get a hold of me completely. But I remember the day when I said, Lord, if you're real, then I need you. And it was an amazing thing. God put on the television. I was coming. I had been working in my shop. and We lived in a hot area. I had to do my work in my shop early in the morning because uh, the finishes that I was using would flash in the heat. And, and so about 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd already been working for a couple of hours, came in uh, to the house, sat down, watch TV, have a cup of coffee, and, and, and uh, take a minute or two break while things were drying in the shop. And, and, and I was reading, and I said, if this is it, if this is real, Lord, I, I, I want you. And I turned the television on and said, okay, now I'll watch the news or something. God has a tremendous sense of humor. You've heard me share this before. Pat Boone was on, on a, on, a, on a Christian program. He was giving his testimony. At that point in my life, I have to confess, I despised Pat Boone. I did not care for his white bucks. And the fact that he was singing rock and roll, but not rock and roll ways. Uh, and and uh, I just I looked at all of that and... and, and and, and I just didn't care for him. And then when there was the big huff about him kissing Ann Margaret in State Fair, I, I, uh, I just said, you know, that's just ridiculous. Pat Boone gives his testimony. I actually identified with part of it. And I put God on my knees, <laughs> prayed, and accepted the Lord. I say God has a sense of humor to use Pat Boone to bring me to the Lord. But that final step was through his testimony. You don't know how God is going to work things. And, uh, and so, you know, in this passage, we realize God is sovereign. He is there. He, he is there. He's the one who saves. He's the one who, who brings judgment. It's his responsibility. It's his place. That's who He is. He is the sovereign God. Not only is He the sovereign God, but because of who He is and we recognize this, He is the Creator of all things. Not only is He the Creator of all things, but we're told in Colossians and other places that it's by His Word that it's held together. Everything wants to go this way and come apart by its nature. I don't understand science. All I know is what was told me when I was in high school science. And it was like everything wants to come apart, but you know everything stays together, you know, and holds together. That and I look at this this teak wood here, and it's and it, it I I can't put my finger through it or anything yet. I'm told that it's alive in the sense that there's things going on in it that with electrons and micro, oh, protons and all that kind of stuff. I don't understand those things. But they're trying to figure out how come it all stays together. They come up with words like gluons and, and other things to try to figure it out. The bottom line is, is that it's the Word of God. It says very clearly in His Word that holds it together. He's the Creator and He sustains it. 
He is the one that we should be looking to. There is a sovereign God. So to understand His will, where do we start? There is a sovereign God. A Creator of the universe who holds all things together. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, He has a plan before the foundation of the world as to how He's going to call us out, bring us into His kingdom, and even bring us into working His, his the work that He has for us to do. And we're think, I'm thinking, I used to think, why does He need me? He doesn't. He has chosen to include me in doing His work. What an honor! I'm His kid and He says, I want you to come to work for me. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want to share this with you. And what an amazing thing it is. So there's a sovereign God who loves us, who cares for us, who has a plan for us. It says, uh, going back to... to to verse 6, uh, in, that, that we are to uh, uh, humble ourselves. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. To be in, in the context of His will, we need to know He is sovereign in charge. He's put it all together. He sustains it. He's got a plan and it says, Submit. standing here with my hands in my pocket and I feel like doing the sit-down thing and say, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, you've heard that story. I am extremely independent. And so are you. Some more than others, but we are all extremely independent. We think and, 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 and reason and look at, at the things that bring us comfort and, and, and joy in the sense of the worldly things in our flesh. And, and we, we want those things. I don't know about you, but I even have an electric blanket. I can control the, 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 the heat that I have for the night. You know, get too warm, turn it down. Get too cold, turn it up. I don't have to get another blanket or anything. I, I bought that because... I, I want that comfort. I didn't buy it because I was a Christian. I didn't buy it to, to, to please, I have to confess, I didn't buy it to please God. I didn't buy it because I wanted to sleep comfortably. We want to please our bodies. We want to please. We have, how many of you have, uh, this is a stupid question, I know this is rhetorical, please. How many of you have a favorite food? How many of you have a favorite sweet? How many of you have a food that you're not supposed to have? But it's your, you really want it, okay? Uh, you know, and and all of these different things. We want to please ourselves. We that's who we are by our nature, and so that's why James says, no, we need to submit to God. To submit means to have a desire to not only be obedient, but within the context of Scripture, when you put it all the the times that it uses this word, to submit with the intention to please Him. To submit with the intention to please Him. In verse 8 it says to draw near. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now, I find that an interesting paradox almost because He's already drawn near to me before I ever drew near to Him. But now He says, now that you've drawn, you know, I've drawn near to you and opened your eyes and, and pulled you into my kingdom, He says, come and embrace me. Come and love me. 
Come and sit with me. Read my word so that you might grow. He doesn't want me to read his word because he wants to control me in so much as he wants me to read his word that I might find comfort in him. That he would be my electric blanket. I didn't know that I was going to say that this morning. But that, you know, he, he, that he would be the one that would cover me. And, and that I could rest in him. And find him for the things that I need day to day in my life. And like I said, then he shows this picture of verse 9. Be wretched, be, you know, mourn to weep. And laughter to, to, to mourning and joy to gloom. And I looked at this and, and, and I, I realized that you have to read verse 10 to picture this, to understand this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will what? Well, it depends on your version. <laughs> he will exalt you, or if you're used to the old song, and He will lift you up. You notice I didn't try to sing it. And, and so, He will exalt you. He will lift you up. When He lifts us up, He lifts us up because we've been wretched, mourn, and weep. What are we to be wretched, mourn, and weep about? The bottom line is that we know who we are outside of Christ. I know that I am a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all are sinners. We all seek our own way. We are all sheep who have gone astray in some way, in some format. And as a result, we've walked away from the things of God that He has for us. And He says, you know, I want you to come to Me. So you must humble yourself. So how do I humble myself? I have to realize what a wretched person I really am. I'm a sinner. And it doesn't matter what sin I've committed. I've sinned against the law of God. And, I, and I, by any sin that I have done, I've committed, I've sinned against the whole law. I am no better than a murderer. I'm no better than an adulterer. I've sinned against God. I am. A wretched man. Now, I don't say this to try to, to show you how humble I am. I'm trying to show you this as to what the Word of God is saying, why we would go through this routine. It's so that we come to that point where we say, my only way out is for God to lift me up. God, create in me a new heart. God, restore me unto your salvation. God, give me uh, the, the whole, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. And we go through Psalm 51. All the, and, and, and read how David, as he confessed his sin and dealt with it, realized, he says, God, whatever you do, don't move away from me. I can't survive without you. I need you. Draw near to me. person who comes to, and to the point where he humbles himself before the Lord, if we, if we were to look at them, go through the next verses 11 through uh, and 12, which we've already done a, a week or so ago, it would be, we'd look at a person who, who comes to this point, begins to do something. He begins to guard his tongue. What it means is we start to be concerned about the things that we say. We're so concerned about the things we say about other people. We're concerned about the things we say about our, 
the, the, the people that we are close to and, and, and in our family. We're concerned about what we say about our spouse and, and because we start to realize and understand through the Holy Spirit beginning to work in us. And as we start to study Scripture and, and get through it, one of the things that we're to do is to, we're to lift our spouses up. How often are you given permission from the Word of God to say something unkind about your spouse to anyone? Anybody want to venture a guess? <laughs> yes. Zero. He seeks the face of the Lord and His holiness and His righteousness. It's a growing process. It's a continual thing. It's not a one-time event. I sought the face of God and found it. I sought the face of God and as I found it, I realized I want to know Him. So I continued to do what? Seek Him. Hunger and thirst after His righteousness. In fact, he, he says, if I hunger and thirst after His righteousness and seek His face, the things that I need from day to day to accomplish the purpose He's directed for my life, I will have. So we come back to these verses. Come now you who say today, tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year here and trade and make a profit. By the way, is it wrong to plan? No. James isn't saying it's wrong to plan that we should just sit here and wait until we have an epiphany of some kind and then say, okay, this is what the Lord wants me to do. He has given us a, a, a reasonable ability to think through, but always with the intent to say, but not my will, your will be done. Whose example are we following? That of Christ. We want to, to seek His face. And, and the, I, I can think of, of, of a situation where there was a particular situation that I wanted. I, I have to say, I probably coveted it. I didn't realize that was what it was at the time, but it was what I really wanted to do. And, and, and it meant doing and being exactly where I thought I wanted to be. And Kathy and I kept praying. And it wasn't that we got a no, but we couldn't get a yes from the Lord. We couldn't get a confidence that this is what God... And so I had to tell these people no to this position. And they said, but it's, you, know, you told us it's everything you want. We, we put it on paper for you. And I said, I know, but I... I... There are, 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 are times where you, you, know, you, you, you look and, and God, if you're submitting to God, He'll redirect your path. And it might surprise you as to where He takes you. So, it comes back to this picture. Humble yourselves. Know who you are before God. Be honest. And then, like I said, Psalm 51, Lord, reveal to me my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Planning is a prudent, wise, and biblical thing to do, but we need to be flexible with our plans. The future, coming to verse 14, it says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Our future is uncertain. 
Over the years that I've been in the ministry, the number of times that I've been called into to family crises, especially the death of a loved one, uh, where it was especially when it was an unexpected thing, and and you realize nobody planned for that. Nobody nobody got up last week and says, "Oh, well, I, I need to plan for my." my mother to pass away, or I need to plan for my father to pass away. Now, they may get to a point where they are, are at a point in time in their life where it's, it, it is apparent that it's near and you need to help take care of the things that you need to help them with to be ready. But it's still, you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know the moment. Who does? God has appointed the day. He has appointed the hour. Future's uncertain. We don't know what it what it what it holds. So again, how do we find our comfort? Well, we rest in the God who does. He goes on and says that my life is nothing but a a, a mist, uh, a vapor. Uh, it, it tells us that we are our lives are brief, and our flesh is frail. Has anybody in here ever taken a very light fall and actually broken something of their body? You know, yeah. I, 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 I have. I fell off of, of three levels of scaffolding, and all I broke was my arm. I fell a few feet into a cement cistern head first, <laughs> and fractured my skull, uh, jammed my legs, my arms. And and was unconscious for 19 hours. You know, uh, you know, our bodies are frail. We don't, we you know, they, we 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 need to understand we are a, a, a brief vapor or a brief mist. Look at this verse 15. Then, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. Or do that. And again, this isn't the, the, the idea of, of sitting back and just uh, waiting for something to happen. In Ephesians, and I've referred to it a few times, I think I should read it this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. By the way, we sang a number of those thoughts this morning. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in His wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. The mystery of His will. He made it known to us according to His purpose. Where did He make it known to us? Through His God-breathed Word which He set forth in Christ as a plan for our fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His 
will. So, that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To His praise and to His glory. What a powerful picture. The will of God. God has plans for us. It's, it's not definitive. It doesn't tell me right there what school I'm going to go to. It doesn't tell me exactly who I'm going to marry. What he's saying is if you will follow him and, and rest in him and rest in his word and his direction, the next step will become something you can see. And he might only give us one step at a time. And there is a few, I think of the one poster where there's only one set of footprints, not two. And it's not because I'm walking on my own, but because He's carrying me. And there are times in my life where God has carried me. I was looking at this and putting it together in a thought and I said, okay, so what's the plan? Can I give you a plan for today? And I just called this plan A. You know, and there could be a plan pre-A. <laughs> there can be a plan A1, A2. What I'm getting at is just, here's one picture of a plan. Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in the love of as Christ loved us and give him, gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Be imitators of what God has done. What does that mean? To show love, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, patience. Oh, fruit of the Spirit. Love. Show that to other people. Be imitators of God. And it shows itself as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice to God. We're told by Paul in Romans to be, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. This is what it, how we do it. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 5 of Ephesians says, But sexual immorality and impurity... Uh, uh, or covetousness not be named among you as the proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which, uh, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and pure, or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So he tells us what to do and he tells us what to stay away from. I'll move down to verse 10. It says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Again, how are we going to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord? I tell you, it's not going to come by just sitting and waiting. It's going to come by opening His Word and studying it. 
and you begin to see the things that please Him. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a sinful even to speak of such things that they, uh, that they do in secret. Dropping down to verse 15, it says, Look carefully then, and here again is part of plan A. You want to be imitators of God? Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what you know about alcohol and drugs and stuff like that, you know, in the sense of, of how it works, but the bottom line is a person who is an alcoholic gets drunk on wine and wine controls him. Wine becomes his obsession. He looks for the opportunity in the place where he's going to have the next drink. And if it's an offense to people and he doesn't want anybody to know, he knows the places that are, that are distant just far enough away from the people that he knows to hang with where he can go and get a drink and not be caught. It owns him. It runs him. And so, James uses something that people would be familiar with. Don't let wine... Don't, don't be under the control of, of wine like people that, that drink. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, be under control of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, something begins to change in the way we look at the world and the way we see people. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for and for everything in God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, taking an I'm third attitude. God is first in all things. I minister to you and, and I'm third. And all of us need to take that attitude. What an amazing picture would be if the body of Christ were seeking that. Wanting to minister to one another and then, and then being blessed by receiving ministry back. You know, but The idea is, I don't do it to get it from you. I do it because God calls me to. Does that make sense to you? God is telling us, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your desire is to please God. And to please God, He says, minister to people. What if someone refuses? I think of the number of people that shared their testimony with me that I intentionally embarrassed before I was a Christian. And I've repented. And a few of those people I've actually had a chance to go back to and, and, and share my faith with. Kathy and I uh, had friends in, in paradise and, and most of the family of this one friend had become Christians except for the head of household in a sense, a friend of ours. And, and uh, we went up and visited and all the family was talking about the Lord and, and our friend Ed was left out of the picture kind of. And he made it known that we were no longer welcome in his home. You know, uh, sometimes it costs you something. 
But the reality is, is that we take this position. God is first in all things. We seek His will. We seek His direction. We seek His Word. We seek His insight. We desire to know His will. Seek His face. Worship Him. Praise Him. Sing to Him. Why do we do all of this? Because of what He's done for us. What indeed He has done for us. I take us back. I already read it briefly. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which is set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. More clearly, that's a general outline of it. We are instructed to have the mind of Christ. And in that instruction, we can see very clearly what it is that Christ has done. Paul writes to the Philippians, Have this mind in Christ among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Why? He didn't have to grasp at it. It was His. But, He made Himself nothing taking the form of a servant. It literally means He emptied Himself of His authority. He came and became uh, a man. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled Himself. He showed us what it was to humble himself, was to give yourself for others. By the way, it's an interesting thing. We're told to humble ourselves. And what will God do? He will lift us up or He will what? Exalt us? Listen to this. Humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the reality is, is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in heart that He has been raised from the dead, that He is your Savior, you are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It says you are saved. I know that you can somebody say, well, there's more to it than that, but that's the essence of it, what He has done for us. Every time we come to church together, people ask, why do we have communion every Sunday? There's so many churches. You know, that's, that's not the church I came from. We did it once a quarter or once a month. There's some churches that do it once a year, and there's some churches that don't. We do communion every Sunday because we want to celebrate what Christ has done for us. We want to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And we want to be reminded that what Paul tells us is to be examining our hearts before we come to the table and, and seek those things where we need to ask God's forgiveness. 
And so, as we come to the table this morning, I ask that you will prepare your hearts to receive the communion this morning. And as the, the, the choir, as the, the worship team sings this morning, um, just uh, ask God to minister to you in your heart and hold the communion as it comes and we'll share it together.